This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, that is our confession this morning, that we need you. It's also our confession that we are your children and no longer slaves to fear. It's our confession that you are good, that you're God, that your spirit is alive and at work. And so, Jesus, we invite you, will you mess with us this morning in a holy way, point us to Jesus, change us as we see him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Here comes Rusty. It was what they said when uh, my roommates and I in college went to the dog tracks. Judge me if you must. One time I went, and that's what it said. They said, here comes Rusty. And it was the signal that the race was starting. See, Rusty was this... A little stuffed bunny attached to a track that went around the racetrack and the dogs chased this Rusty, this bunny named Rusty. Every single time, the guy over the loudspeaker, here comes Rusty, you know, and of course my roommates and I, yeah, don't care who wins the race, Rusty's gonna win the race, right? And those dogs would chase Rusty wherever He went, and luckily for them, he went around the track. But if Rusty would have run onto I-25, they would have chased Rusty onto I-25. Now, if that were a cat race, I would have wanted that, okay? But this is a dog. Just kidding. Just, just, this guy hates cats. No, I don't. Here comes Rusty. And they follow him wherever he goes. Uh, We're not all that much different. You know that, right? All of us have a a rusty. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got a rusty. You've got a rusty. and, And you know what? You know what? We all have the exact same rusty. It's really interesting. As as human beings, we all have something that, that we follow, something that leads us, something that guides us. The thing that leads and guides and defines the course of every single life in this room is the thoughts that we have in our mind and the things that we believe in our heart. Those are our quote-unquote rusties. Those are the things that lead us around the track of life and where our thoughts go and where our belief goes and the things that we set our mind on. Those are the things that lead us. Every time you make a decision, it's based out of something you think in your mind and believe in your heart. You've never made a decision contrary, ever. You've just got to dig down deep enough to uncover what these things are. But we all have a rusty in our life. In fact, before your feet hit the ground in the morning, this might be a good discipline. Before you get out of bed and your feet hit the ground, just whisper to yourself, here comes rusty. Feet on the ground and we're off. Following our affections, following the thoughts that we have in our mind and the things that we believe in our hearts. 
In the King James translation of the scriptures in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, the author of Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his mind, so he is. Or it's the way that he lives. We live out of what's in our minds and in our hearts. Jesus says that every good intention flows from the heart and every evil intention flows from the heart. You've never done something that didn't flow out of who you are. We all have a rusty in our minds. Okay, so that's why Paul will write to the church at Rome, be transformed, a command, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do you become a different type of person? You change your thought patterns. You change your core beliefs in your soul. That's how you change who you are. It's how you change the way that we live. We've, we've so often gotten it wrong that we start to think that the way that we behave is what we need to try to change. But what the scriptures really teach is, listen, you're always going to be chasing rusty. The thought patterns that you have, the things you believe in your heart, you cannot avoid it. So in order to change the way you live, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In, in uh, a famous book, Telling Yourself the, Tru- the Truth, the two authors of that book write, most of what happens in life happens because of the way that you think. Most of what happens in life happens because of the way that you think. I'll give you an example. Uh, my five-year-old daughter, Avery, right now is trying to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. And she has convinced herself She can't do it. Now, if you want to make my daughter cry today, all you have to do is go up to her and ask if she wants to go ride her bike. I mean, it's just like the faucet turned on. No! I'm like, you asked for this bike for your birthday and we got it for you. If you live on my street, you've seen us because I'm like, oh no, you're riding this bike. You know, you've seen us, me holding the seat of the bike, running behind the bike and her just crying, right? Now, here's what I tell you. We're walking to the bicycle. I'm like, Avery, you can do this. You can ride this bike. And I say, Avery, tell me you can ride the bike. And she says, you can ride the bike. I'm like, no, say I can ride the bike. (laughs) Because here's what I know about her. I know that she will not ride the bike until she thinks she can. But the moment she thinks she can, she's going to pop right up and do it. The things we believe in our mind, the things we're convinced of in our heart, determine and drive the way that we live. You're chasing rusty. So am I. So am I. So the scriptures are going to talk about that. They're going to invite us into a different kind of life and not just try harder, but drink deeper of the goodness of the gospel because that's how you change your thought pattern. That's how you change your heart, which in turn changes your life. What if, what if you and I learned how to confess to our hearts, to our souls, to ourselves the truth? We're so often um, used to confessing, in the technical term, the things that we've done wrong, the sin that easily entangles, which is absolutely good and right, and I would encourage you, we should do that. But what if we learned also how to confess to ourselves the truth? I am no longer a slave to sin 
neither are you. That's true. But here's the thing. Most of us don't believe it. So we never live it out. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of the most high God. That's who I am. If you're a follower of Christ, that's who you are. But unless we believe it, we will never walk in it. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to invite you into gospel truth that my prayer is, is fuel for your soul. Fuel for your soul. Because if we change the way that we think, if we change the things we believe, it will in turn change our lives. And so Peter wants that for his church. Churches, I want that for us today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's jump in. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's always Bibles in the back right when you walk in. You can grab one. You probably have a phone also that has 30,000 versions of it on. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Everybody there? Okay, great. If you're not, it's on the screens. Therefore, okay, time out. So we, we got to stop. We got to stop and ask the question, what's it there for? Glad you asked that. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Peter laid the groundwork for the entire epistle in verses 3 through 12, where he said some things like, you are born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus an inheritance you have that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you that will be revealed on the last day. So that's you. That's you. Therefore, you've been born again. Therefore, you are different. Therefore, in essence, he's going to say, live like it. Live like it, but you got to know who you are before you try to live out the commands of the scriptures. And there are a lot of commands in the scriptures. There's a lot of commands in 1 Peter. We are going to lay our eyes on the very first one in the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter in this passage. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Say it with me. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That'd make a great verse to memorize. Just gonna throw it out there. Set your hope fully. Prepare your mind, clear your mind, and then sink your heart into the grace of God that you've tasted and seen now We'll see, he says, in even more full capacity when Jesus returns and you're revealed with him as sons and daughters of the king. First John chapter three, verse two, we talked about it last week, that who you are right now is not fully known, but when Jesus Christ is revealed, you will be revealed too and you'll look like him. What a day, amen? What a day. And now he says, okay, in light of all of that, in light of all of that, that truth, set your hope Fully, as if in the believer's mind, there isn't space for anything other than the grace of God. Set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus. You have grace now. You stand in it, according to the Apostle Paul, to the church at Rome. Romans chapter five, I believe it's verse one or two. You stand in grace now. You will be revealed in grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And for the ages to come, Ephesians chapter two, verses six and seven says, he's gonna shower his grace down on you. And as we live and as we walk and as we move, Peter says to the church, this should occupy your mind. This should occupy your mind. Listen to the way. In verse 21, he sort of ends this pericope of thought in a sense. And he says this, he says this, that people who are redeemed, who are saved through Jesus, they are believers in God. In the same God who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your, what? Faith, your faith and my faith and our hope are in God. It's really interesting because these two bookends, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you, and then you will live lives of faith. See, a lot of times we just try to live lives of faith by sheer willpower. We try to we try, to try really hard. I'm going to be faithful today, which is a great prayer. I just wish it were followed not by a period, but by a semicolon where he says, I am going to be faithful today by setting my hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter, friends, is that a mind that's set on, fixed on, fully obsessed with that grace leads to a life built on faith. See, the focus of your mind determines the pathway of your feet. It always does. So Peter's going to say, first and foremost to the churches, set your hope fully on grace, and then he's going to teach them how to live. I, I, I love the way that Dr. Rick Warren puts it when he says this. He says, let me sum it up this way. You are not what you think you are, but rather what you think, comma, you are. The battle for sin, the battle to deal with those defects in your life that you don't like starts in your, say it with me, mind. If you want to change anything about your behavior uh, or anything in your emotions, start with your thoughts and your attitude. Interesting, isn't it? See, I'm not, I'm, you guys, I'm not channeling my inner Tony Robbins here. <laughs> this isn't just a, a pep talk. I don't have, when I don't have that big of hands and I'm not that positive and I don't know how to tell you to make a ton of money, I'm not. But, but what I am saying is the scriptures are absolutely clear on this. Um, therefore, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off every sin that so easily entangles and fix your mind on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. You want to get free from sin? Well, most messages you hear are try harder. The scriptures, though, are, you want to get free from sin? Fix your mind on Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, if you've been or since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds 
on things above, not on the things of this earth. See, I think we, we've, we've gotten sucked into this pattern of try harder, do more. And Peter's going to tell the church, drink deeper and live out of that place in your soul where the Father's grace is fully known, fully recognized. Let that be your rusty, if you will. He says, prepare your minds for action. Did you know that this is not a passive thing? You don't accidentally slide into a mind that's captivated by the grace and mercy and goodness of God. He commands you to set your hope fully on it because it is unnatural. Now, if he were to say, set your mind fully on your failure and your sin, one, I think that would look like far more accountability groups that I see. But two, he doesn't need to say that, does he? We do that naturally. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can remember the times in my life where I failed. I don't need to remember those. I mean, believe me, I've got a list. It grows and grows and grows. The reason it's a command in scripture is because it's unnatural and it takes disciplined delight for us to step into that reality. He says, prepare your minds. Take this seriously. Be sober-minded. Or actually, in the King James Version of prepare your minds, if you have it, you probably chuckled when we read the passage because it says, gird up the loins of your minds for action. I read that, I'm like, why did they retranslate that? It was this picture of um, uh, Jewish people back in the day. They would wear these long outer garments, and they were used primarily for ceremonial purposes, also sometimes just in relaxation. But when they went to work or when they went to war, they would take the outer garment, and they would tuck it into their belt as if to say, game on, let's go. So Peter says that that's the approach you and I need to take to setting our mind fully on the grace of God. Not passive, active, because you remember your failure. You remember your shame, you remember your guilt. But we lose sight of his grace really easy, don't we? He says, be sober-minded. It means exactly what it says. You can either be sort of intoxicated in your mind, right? So your mind is unfocused, unclear, and unable to dial in, Maybe it's because we spend so much time with our faces in front of these, yeah? Or you can be clear-minded, having a clarity of judgment that results in following after the heart of God. See, will you look at me for a second? Some of us, the pressures of life, they just mess with our minds so much that we can't hear the voice of the Father, and so what Peter wants to say is before I get into any of the do this, do that, don't do this, in order to do any of that, it starts with a mindset. Set your hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed to you at the revelation, brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the Israelites, they took this so seriously that they would literally wrap the law of God around their heads. They would put the law on their foreheads. They would put it on the back of their hands so that they remembered. Why was God asking them to do that? Here's what he knows. He knows they forget. 
He knows you and I. We have amnesia of the soul where we forget, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. That's why we sing songs like that. Because in six days in between now and next Sunday, you're probably going to forget. It's why you need to discipline yourself in between now and then also if you want to live in the fullness of all that God has purchased for you in Jesus. The scriptures say the mind that's set on the flesh is death. But the mind on the spirit, set on the spirit, is life and peace. Where you set your mind determines how you live. It's your rusty. It's mine too. So where does he go from there? Okay, so where he goes from there, he wants to lay this foundation that then he's gonna invite us to build on. But if we lose sight of grace, none of this matters at all. Verse 14, as obedient, say it with me, children, right? So he wants you to understand this familial relationship with Jesus, with the Father. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So do not be conformed. It's a command. It's a command. So let's put this together with what we uh, talked about last week. You're a new creation. Praise the Lord. You've been born again. Amen. The gospel isn't good advice. It's good news. It's a declaration of what Jesus has done. Say amen. That's great. The, the, the reality is, is that Jesus is not interested in making bad people good. He's interested in making dead people alive. Amen. And yet, we know there's this old self in us that just wants to say at every turn, it's not really who you are. Let me remind you of the things you've done. Let me remind you of how good that was back then. And so Peter writes to the church in all honesty. Don't you love that the scriptures are honest? I mean, if they said that at this new birth, everything changes, you don't have those desires anymore, you don't have that other voice on your shoulder saying you're a failure, you should live in shame, you should embrace pride, you should do this. If the scriptures didn't say that, you and I wouldn't trust them, would we? Because we know that's a, the world that we live in. That's the life that we have. We have to wage war on these things. The scriptures are honest. I mean, they'll say over and over again, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You have a war that wages inside of you. Anyone want to say amen to that? I, I do. We have a war that wages inside of us. So three questions I want to ask. What do we fight against? What do we fight against? Well, the scriptures here are going to say that the desires that we have, these, these heart directions, these passionate longings, these lusts, this obsession, if you will, for more, for better, for something other than what we have. He goes, to, to the uh, uh, recipients of this letter, they're coming out of paganism. Think of some of the things they've been a, a part of, temple prostitution, idolatry. And he goes, all right, so some of that's still stuck in your soul. Fight it, wage war against it. Do not conform, he says. Do you know, de desires cannot be eliminated. They can only be replaced 
Let, me, let that sink in for a second. The desires you have, A, are not in and of themselves negative. The way we play them out are, but if you dig deeper, the longing is usually for some sort of um, relational connection with people, for some sort of significance and meaning and purpose in life. The, The desires in and of themselves are negative. The way that we live them out are, but a desire cannot be just eliminated and wiped out. It must be replaced. It must be replaced. So in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul will say, the person who is stealing must steal no longer, not period, comma, but must give generously to those who are in need. As if to say, uh, you want that same rush that stealing gave you? Paul says, I'll give you one better. Don't steal, but live generously. See what that does for your soul. Desires aren't eliminated, eliminated, they're replaced. How do we not conform? We set our hope fully on grace. That's the power. That's where the power is. Paul writes in that same book of Galatians, he says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and try really hard to not gratify the desires of the flesh. No, no. See, we we hear that and we go, amen. No, that's not it. Walk by the Spirit, and the natural byproduct of walking by the Spirit is you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. You see, any time I return to my former ways or former desires, I've taken my mind off of grace. It isn't fully in front of my mind. It's not my rusty, if you will. Question three, when is this hardest? When life stinks. Right? This is hardest when life, when when it just feels like at every corner and every turn, life is just beating down on us. It's hardest to love your husband or wife when you're in an argument. Anybody want to disagree with that? It's hardest to work for your boss when you think he or she is a jerk or not treating you well. It's hardest to follow Jesus when in our heart of hearts and the deepest part of our souls, we don't feel like he's being good to us. And so what Peter wants to say to to exiles, people whose life is not easy, in many ways, objectively, you'd look at it and go, it's not even good good. Here's what he wants to say. Set your hope fully on grace. And the outflow of that will be that the obedience that we offer and that we live in won't be diminished by the opposition we encounter. He wants them to hold on to the hope of grace to set their feet fully on the ground of earth that they might live in a way that would honor and lift high Jesus. The end is obedience, but the pathway is, God, I am absolutely enamored with and obsessed with the grace that will be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus. And when I keep my eyes on him, look up at me for a second, can walk through anything by his grace, by his mercy. But the moment I take my eyes off, I start to sink. I don't know about you. See, when we lose sight of our identity as children, so that's where he wants to start, as as obedient children, as people who are the children of God, 
If we lose sight of that, we deny our call to holiness, to live differently, to live in line with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You see, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, everyone who thus hopes, has, has this hope that we will be transformed when we meet Jesus, everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself, lives in a way that would be reflective and honoring of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's talk for a second. I've noticed personally in me that I'm most susceptible to the enemy's attack when I'm most disappointed in the Father's provision. I'm most susceptible to the enemy's attack in my life when I'm most disappointed with the Father's provision. You see, you go back and you read Genesis chapter three and the story of Adam and Eve. What does the enemy do first? What did God say? Let's talk, what did God really say? And is, is God really good? Does he really want what's best for you? Because it sure sounds like he's preventing you from walking into some things that would be just really amazing and really good. What does he want to do? He wants to erode their conviction that God is good and that his provision is enough. The enemy would love to do the same thing in your life too. Write down these four things, four things. I'm most susceptible to sin and temptation, the enemy's attack when I'm hungry, spiritually, and, and let's just say physically too, amen, right? When I'm alone or lonely, and when I'm tired, because those things for me equal disappointment. Or God, are you good? God, are you good? These are times where we start to tell ourselves lies and we start to believe them. So here's what Peter says. As obedient children, don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance. You're no longer ignorant, so don't live in it. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, so you too be holy in all of your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile. Okay, stop there. Because he's, he's gonna, this quote is pushing back to Leviticus chapter 19. And he's gonna call from that and he's gonna say, but you're a holy people, you're a different type of people. The word holy literally means different, different. So he wants to point back to the Israelites. They were a holy people, a different people. They worshiped different than any of the other cultures around them. They ate differently than any other cultures around them. They treated people differently. They had a different law, a different ethic of operating as a people. And what God says to the now people of God, to the new covenant people of God, you have this same type of flavor to your life. You live differently. You look differently. We'll say it like this. He says, be holy because he is holy. The life that we live as we sink our hearts in grace is reflective of the God that we love. You're, 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 the, you're the moon, not the sun. You know that, right? You're just reflecting. Be holy for I am holy. Look at me. See me, God says. And then live in my way. 
embrace my truth and walk in it. Now, here's the thing. When I think of holiness, I have a list in my mind, right? You probably do too, of things we shouldn't do, correct? So we typically define holiness by what we don't do. What if we had a more complete picture of what holiness actually was scripturally? See, God is holy, yes and amen. And there is things, are things that God avoids, yes and amen. But God's holiness encapsulates not just what he doesn't participate in, but what he does participate in. And as followers of the way of Jesus, we need to stop just saying holiness is defined by the fact that we um, don't cuss or chew or go with girls that do, right? And we only listen to Christian music and we only, right, we, we have our Christian subculture and we're firmly planted in it. That's holiness. And I think we need to widen that space a little bit to say, holiness isn't just what I keep myself from, but it's also the things that I participate in and the things that I do as part of God's holiness. He's creative. He's loving. He's filled with joy. He binds up the brokenhearted. He, he heals the hurt, sets the prisoners free. Holiness is avoiding sin, but it's also participating in God's healing and redemption. Holiness is not swearing, but it's also speaking blessing. Holiness is not hating, but it's also actively serving for the common good. Holiness is not just not stealing, it's living generously. It's found in what we avoid, but it's also found in what we embrace. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. St. Augustine said, to be holy is to love rightly. To be holy is to love rightly. A.W. Tozer said, because I think holiness gets a bad rap. A.W. Tozer said, no man should desire to be holy or to be happy who is not at the same time holy. Peter says three, three reasons we live this way. One, God is that way. We reflect our, our king and our father. Two, we believe that God will judge. Now, this is not a judgment as to, are you gonna go to heaven or are you gonna go to hell? And, and the reason we know that is because of what follows. So just hold off on your judgment on whether or not I'm right uh, for just a second. But, but this is a judgment based on um, not whether or not you're saved or unsaved, but what does the fruit of your life reveal? He's not talking about salvation here other than the fact that salvation, honest, true, genuine salvation produces good works, good fruit. Book of James is absolutely clear about this. You and I, look up at me for a second. You and I will give an account of our lives. We will. Our lives will be laid bare before God the Father. And it's not a judgment of what we necessarily did right or wrong. One commentator says that this Greek word, this idea of our lives being laid bare, carries with it this judge in order to find something good. Is that your view of God? Go, man, all right. So Ryan, you, you really honored me in this way and, and the fire's gonna burn away the, stray, the, the straw, but, but this, this, you, what, you've, what you've done here, lifted my name high, will be judged. It's a family judgment, another commentator says. 
and we live, we operate our time in exile throughout our time in exile with fear. Not afraid, but in awe. In awe. I I like that Peter adds in throughout your time in exile. And as I was studying this week, I just sensed God saying, all right, for somebody that's a word today. That you are, you've been in exile for a while. You're disappointed with God. You're frustrated. You're wondering, is there anything that even resembles home anymore? And what Peter says here is, throughout your entire time, set your hope fully on grace. Live in a way that reflects your father. The life that we live reflects the love that we have. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep pushing throughout your time in exile. Finally, he says this, and we're gonna land the plane here. Knowing that you were ransomed, so you were set free from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with, a per- with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now just for a second, just close your eyes and listen to the way Peter describes your salvation, okay? He describes it as it's, you are completely free. You've been ransomed. The chains are broken. The doors of the jail are open. That it came at a great price, the precious blood of Jesus. That it came from the Father's heart with ultimate intentionality. He foreknew this before the foundation of the world. And it comes with an invitation that you and I might be people of faith and people of hope. Here's the way I'll summarize it. The positional righteousness we stand in, and you do by faith, and I do by faith. You could not be more holy. You could not be more adopted. You could not be more forgiven. God isn't dishing out forgiveness in waves. He's going, I paid the whole bill. The check cleared. I walked out of the grave. It's done. He's not making payments in installments. God doesn't have a layaway plan for your salvation. It's done. It's done. Past tense. The positional righteousness we stand in gives fuel or motivates the practical holiness we live out. That's good. See, where I stand, where I think I stand with God will determine how I walk with God him. So many of us, we have a rusty in our mind that tells us God's mad. This belief, this conviction, he's mad. That that we have to work for our salvation. If we live holy, then we'll be righteous. He goes, no, 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 you got it opposite. You got it mixed up. You are righteous, therefore live holy holy. Rewire your mind and it will change 
the way that you walk. But as long as we keep believing the same thing, as long as we keep telling ourselves the same thing in our mind, we'll keep doing the same things we've always done. South Fellowship Church, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you that has already been purchased by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In every corner of your mind, in every closet of your soul, fling it open, open it wide, and allow the merciful love of the King to come in. Because if you change the thing you set your mind on, you will change the life that you live. And we're gonna celebrate the table today and for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have said, we're gonna forget. Jesus knew it, you know it. We're gonna forget. So let's wire into the rhythm of our community of faith, a reminder to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus. Let's pray. So Jesus, we ask, even right now, would you pour through the caverns of our soul? Would you find places that we believe lies and are operating in them? And would you shine the light of your truth on them? Even as we come to the table, would you remind us that your words are spirit, that your words are life. May your words, may your truth sink deep into our souls as we take and eat and confess that you are God and that you're good. Even in this time, would you do a work of transformation of our mind? Please. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.